Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. My guest today is Rabbi Alex Kalabar from the Chabad of Lindhurst Shul. And I'm very pleased to welcome you onto my program today, Thank Rabbi. You, I wanted you on a, a while ago and we had to keep changing, but we're going to be discussing many issues today. And um, I heard about a lot of the different sermons that you gave, so we're going to be covering some of those issues as well. I did call this program Mind the Gap, and it's, there's a, a saying by Rabbi Schrager Silverstein, being on the right track is not enough. One must be on the right train. Hmm. Now, I would like you to talk to me about children. Thank you, Sue, and welcome to all our listeners. One of the greatest blessings that the Almighty has given mankind is children. Children are truly an extension of ourselves in so many different ways. The cliche is that children are our future, but it certainly is true because we are all links in a chain. A chain that began as the Cedrus uh, we are reading now with Abraham and Sarah, who are considered the forefather and foremother of our nation. The founder of the Chabad movement, the Alt Rebbe, writes about Abraham and Sarah that they worked very, very hard to acquire certain qualities of faith, of trust, of belief in God Almighty. And they succeeded in handing it down, not only to their children, but to all their descendants forevermore. And so they gave us a spiritual genes, a spiritual DNA. And we're finding out with the DNA, with the genes, that we truly are extensions of the generations before us. But we should realize that that is not only a physical aspect. More important, it's the inner core. Tell me about the inner core. The inner core, obviously, as the uh, Talmud puts it, there are three partners in every human being. There's our father and mother who gives us our body. And then there's God Almighty who gives us our soul. In fact, our soul had an existence way before we were born. And the Talmud says, when it comes time to leave the world, God Almighty says, I am taking back my portion. The soul is returning and will live on eternally. Whereas the body, the parent's contribution is laid to rest. Mm. And as we discussed, the connection between parents and children is a very, very far-reaching one. If you'd ask the average person, when did 
your connection with your children begin? Many might say at conception. Many might say at birth. However, there's an interesting Kabbalistic debate as to who chooses who. The child who chooses the parent or the parent the, the child. Exactly. Uh-huh. And that the conclusion is it's a compromise. It's a shtickle of both. Oh. Both choose each other. Mm. And, and that's a most awesome way of looking at things, especially bringing up the subject that, that you wrote about the generation gap as to how each side should look at one another, how parents should look at their children and how children should look at their parents. If we appreciate that our connection began a lot earlier than the physical existence and that there is a specific reason why we are connected. We are not just accidents of birth. And each of us has our own personalities. So there's a huge responsibility as a parent, isn't there, in actually recognizing that our children are not our children alone. Yeah, to a large degree. You know, I'm told the Lubavitcher Rebbe told some parents under difficult circumstances that your par- your children are not your possessions. Mm. Your children actually are God's children. They were just put into your care to look after, to nourish, and to build. And so much is dependent upon the parent. Above all, taking an active role, taking an interest, not looking at all your children as one entity. The King Solomon says, which means educate your children according to their ways. Because each child is unique. Mm -hmm. And each child has their qualities and their shortcomings, as does every human being. And it is the role of a parent to be able to study their child and to recognize who they are and what they are. The the Rebbe actually said something. I remember reading it. Uh, that he, someone came to him, a father came to him and said, I can't understand this child of mine. He's gone off, uh, uh, on his own way. And he said, and I can't understand it because I brought him up exactly the same way as I brought up the other, my other children. I think he had about eight other children. And the Rebbe said that was the mistake. Each right. child demands something different 100%. from a parent. 100%. And where does our personalities come from? You can have identical twins that even their mothers can't tell them apart sometimes. I put it to you that even if one day they'll succeed in cloning people to the extent that the iris of one guy's eye will open up the ATM machine of the other. (laughs) And so they're physically so identical, their personalities can still be chalk and cheese. Mm -hmm. Because each person is an individual, and that individual's personality comes from their soul and really is expressing their unique mission in life. 
each person that lives here is unique. You know that uh, Khalil Gibran uh, talks about children as the children are not our children. Their lives longing for themselves for itself, and how they are uh, the the parent is the arrow from which the the I mean the bow from which the arrow is released. Hmm. What is your idea on that? That's a beautiful thought, actually. Hmm. But um, we have many, many obligations given to us by the Torah, called chinuch, called education. And uh, in fact, we say it three times a day in the vishim, in the vishim, in the shema where we say the obligation is vishinantam levanecha vidibartabam. You must teach it, you must educate, you must bring up your children in the right way. In, in fact, the first educational system in the world came from our nation and the Torah hmm. of the obligation of guiding our children so that when that arrow Shoots Flies. out. They have the proper direction. We're going to pick up on that. We just uh, we're going to be listening to a very short YouTube on a on a son's way of protecting um, his mother, actually, and it's called "Hiding Pain from Your Loved Ones." It's by Gabor Mate, and I'm be interested to hear what you think of that. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Only on 101.9 High FM. Does that mean I'm blaming people for getting sick? Well, no, I'm not. Because these patterns are not conscious, they're not deliberate. Let me give you a personal example. So, when I was 54, I was visiting my mother in a nursing home. My mother was 78 at the time. She was in a nursing home because she had muscular dystrophy, uh, a genetic disease that runs in her family. And so, uh, she, she could no longer move. She, um, she could barely lift her arms to feed herself. Mentally, she was quite with it. So she's in this nursing home. And that afternoon, I have a bit of a limp as I walked down the hall of the nursing home. Now, why do I have a limp? I have a limp because that morning I had arthroscopic surgery, which, as you know, is a minimally invasive surgery. They make a small hole. They look in with a small camera. They cut out the torn cartilage, which I incurred because I used to jog on cement and ignored the pain, typically until finally I tore a cartilage. I missed that lecture in medical school where they talk about pain and tissue damage. So I, <laughs> I wasn't aware that there's a connection. So, but, so, so, it's, so, you know, the surgery is minimal and you walk out of the hospital. So that afternoon I, have, I do have a bit of a limp. Now, as soon as I open my mother's door, my limp disappears. I walk into her room quickly, normally, and I walk out the same way until I shut the door behind me and then I start limping down the hall again. And what do you think I was doing? Why do you suppose I was doing that? Protecting her from what? From worrying about my pain. Now, here's the deal. My mother was 78. Uh, we're Jewish and uh, from Hungary. And my mother had survived the genocide, the death of her parents in Auschwitz, communist dictatorship, the Hungarian Revolution of 1956, Emigration to North America with two adolescent boys and the birth of a child here when she's nearly 40 years old. Life in a new country, new culture, all the travails of immigration and so on. 
the death of my father. She was a very strong woman. Do you think she needed to be protected <laughs> from the fact that her middle-aged son has a bit of a limp on the afternoon of arthroscopic surgery? This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. My guest today is Rabbi Alex Karlebach, and we're talking about many things. At the moment, we're talking about parents and children. And that was another example of a child, an older child in his 50s, still trying to protect his mother from from feeling his pain. And that is often a generational thing, isn't it, carrying pain from one generation to another without even realizing that you are trying to protect I don't agree with it. I mean, I, I, he speaks beautifully. Mm-hmm. I loved what he said generally. But his last comment, where do you think after all that my mother has been through, mm. do I have to protect her from even this little aspect of a limp? I think yes. I I think the answer is yes, because as much as she has been through, right now, if she will see her beloved son limping, then that's what she will be focusing on now. Mm. Not all the previous pain that she's been through or all those hardships. She will suffer. That's what mothers often do. And they what she sees in her, her son is life, after all. Hundred percent. So, so everything else, I, <laughs> I yeah. admired what he said, yeah. except for that last comment. And that's why I actually put it in because I also found that I think as relationships, parent-children relationships, they are complicated. They're never straightforward. So when he said that, my immediate thought was, well, I would have needed to have protected my mother from my right. pain or my father from 100%. my pain. And uh, and whether I was right or wrong, it would have been my need. And you're saying the same thing. Now, as parents, we, you, you know, it's very, so much is said about Jewish parents, especially well, Jews in general being educated as a race. And what you said before about education, uh, that it came right through Abraham, right through mm. all the generations, it's a very strong point. Um, and also sure. educating our children to what they need, not our needs. 100%. It's in this week's portion where Abra- God's thinking of telling Abraham about the destruction of the Sodom. And he says... I know him, Leman Yitzave, as Bonov, that he is going to command his children and the children afterwards to follow in God's ways. That is certainly the primary objective. If you're asking from a Torah point of view, do you know, in, in most Yeshivas, especially Lubavitcher Yeshivas going Montreal, New York, Toronto. We had a system where the morning was the Limude Kaidish, the holy learning, you know, all about your faith and Judaism and the Torah, the Talmud. And the afternoon was the secular. Now the secular hired 
public school teachers afterwards. So there were a few administrations that said, why don't we rather take those teachers and use them through the classes, so use them throughout the day. So some classes will have morning secular first, and others, the the Lamude Kurdish, the holier lessons afterwards. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe was totally against it. He said, every child has to know the primary education in life should be our connection with the Almighty, with the Spirit. The secular education should come second. And that is a big challenge that parents have in educating their children, which takes priority. We're going to go back to that in a moment. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and I'm with Rabbi Alex Karlebach, and we're discussing uh, children at the moment in education, and and he was telling me what was hap- what happens in in a religious school, a yeshiva, and how the Rebbe said it's actually the values of the religion that needs to be taught first, mostly right. those values. Please, we'd love to hear from you on Telegram o six one. Eight nine five one zero one nine, or you can SMS us on three four five one nine. Any opinions are valuable. You know, uh, Rabbi, what I need to say here is that so many uh, people that uh, actually contact me are not Jewish people, and they are listening into the program. So you know, um, we're we're focusing a lot on. Um, Judaism here, but would you say it actually goes to a higher intelligence, a, a greater, a power greater than us? It can be called as well. Sure, hundred percent. The uh, bond between parents and children is not unique mm. in any way to the Jewish people, right. and uh, obviously, nothing happens by accident. And I would add that uh, the Almighty is not the Almighty of the Jews. He is the Almighty of of all human beings, in fact, of the entire universe. Mm -hmm. But all human beings and all humans have a specific role and mission. There isn't a person who doesn't. And the first one that a baby is dependent on is their parents for good reason. Mm. And one of the things I think is important is that sometimes parents underestimate the role that they should play and have to play. And sometimes they they don't appreciate how much the child looks up to them and how needy the child is of them. So Not they are the first role models to the child, aren't 100%. they? 100%. Mm. And, and I would say also that a child is yours to lose, not to win. Because at birth and naturally, you are their role model and you are the love of their life. Mm-hmm. They, they look up to you. And you don't, you don't have to win them over. And that's another aspect. 
from our point of view, it is wrong to make your child your best friend. Let your child gain best friends in school. A child needs a parent. Halachically, it is wrong to call your parents by their first names. Hmm. Because there has to be, as you say, that role model. Mm. There has to be those set parameters and that set aspect of respect. Otherwise, you're not a parent. Would that apply to grandparents as well? To calling grandparents by their first names? Yeah. So it would yeah. go through... Well, I mean, if if you would call them like a sign of respect, for example, granny... Sarah, mm. that that might be a little different mm, mm. because then you're distinguishing, especially in families where there could even be more than two grandparents. Yeah, yeah. And so you want to distinguish. So you're saying it with a sign of respect. So yeah. what you're saying very clearly, I think, is that children have their own unique place in the world. And as parents, we can guide them through values through being the role models that we, we hope that our children will aspire to, perhaps. But at the same time, we have to encourage them in their own individuality. 100%. 100%. Would you say that that's part of their education? Um, you know, you said, the Rebbe said, you know, to teach them the ways of, of their ancestors, the, the ways right. of, of being Jewish. Would you say that part of that education is actually also to know themselves? No question. No question about it. Um, unless a person knows themselves, how can they, how can they be anything towards themselves or towards anyone else? Mm-hmm. You first have to have a grounding and you first have to know. That applies even you know, in in our Amida, we start with the words Elokeinu, our God, Velokei Avoseinu, and the God of our forefathers. There was a Rebbe, Rebbe Mendel Kotzka. He said that we have to establish, first knowing ourselves, knowing our own relationship with, with God uh, before we can even take the other relationship mm-hmm. um, before we can establish the relationship of who are the God of our fathers. So we have to concretize everything about ourselves using the previous. And I think that's sometimes one of the hardest roles of parents is perhaps not knowing themselves. You know, and uh, and trying to be the best they can be, and yet so many times you you see the the childishness in the parent, and um, and and sometimes it's a, it's the diff- it's it actually becomes almost a reversal that the child becomes the parent's parent. There 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 are those times, and I think that's why people have to be real to themselves as well. You know, and now where we we where we have to actually right. work on ourselves right. too. Mm. And um, Rabbi, the other thing that I wanted to ask uh, you, you know, you spoke about the the 
difficulties in life and um, New Year resolutions that you, you spoke right. about over Yom, Yom right. um, uh, Yontif. Just tell me, I, I like what you said about the New Year resolutions, about in January and then a bit later. Hmm. Do you remember what you said? Amongst the things is, again, <laughs> the famous cliché. <laughs> but be, before I tell you exactly what I said, the introduction is... Everyone talks about New Year resolutions, but I wonder how many adults really even bother with making resolutions. I mean, if you're in your 50s and you've been making resolutions since you're a teenager and you haven't seen many results or changing, <laughs> then you become quite apathetic in making them. And I run, once read a statistics about New Year resolutions they said that uh, in the first two weeks of January, cigarette sales go down by half. Gyms increase <laughs> by about 50%, but the gyms don't have to get in more equipment. And the cigarette manufacturers aren't that worried because they know by the second week of January, it'll be back to normal. <laughs> so, so our resolutions don't last for long. But I think... One reason can be is that we are apathetic in the fact that we don't really believe we can make a difference, not in our own lives or in the lives of others. Mm -hmm. Because if we would truly appreciate what a difference we can and do make, especially to the life of others, we would appreciate ourselves more and and how to live when when the, you have certain expectations of yourself mm. it's easier to live up to them than if you think it makes no difference and mm. another discussion we we had was how much perception creates reality and that it really makes a big difference as to what we focus on in our lives, whether we realize it or not. And uh, I, I took that out of a, uh, a teaching that uh, actually it, it's connected with Purim. That Haman, Purim means lots, Haman threw lots as to which month to destroy the Jewish people on. And when it came out on Adar, he said, that's wonderful, because that is the month that Moses, the first leader of the Jewish people, passed away on. He passed away on the seventh of Adar. So if he left the world at that date, I'll succeed in annihilating the Jews at that time. And then he was born on and that day And the heavenly well. voice came out and said, you're forgetting that Moses was born on that same day uh. 120 years earlier. <laughs> so it's actually a good day. Now, I ask myself, if Haman knew that it was the day of Moses' yard site, why didn't he also know that it was the day of his birthday? Mm -hmm. He felt it doesn't matter what you know. What matters more is what you focus on, what you create to be your perception. And that applies to so many things. It applies to parents and children. As you say, even if a, a parent might feel 
that he's immature. At least focus on the role. Mm. God put you in that role. He gave you the ability. Use it. Go with it. And educate yourself to being a parent too. 100%. Especially today, there are actually no excuses. There's so many parenting courses being offered. Right. <laughs> they say that's the one thing we're never educated on. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's quite true. Nothing does prepare us. I don't think for you know, it. You know, they they tell a story that there was a college professor who had a lecture called "The Ten Commandments of Raising Children." Then he got married and had a child, and it became the ten suggestions of raising children. And then he had a few more, and he stopped giving that lecture altogether. (laughs) That is very true. If you'd like to join us, we'd love you to on three four five one nine or telegram us on o six one. Eight nine five one zero one nine. What is your idea of being a parent? Uh, you know, so many people say my life is uh, is my children. Now um, you hear that again and again, and you see people putting their own careers, their own um, lives on hold because they say my life is my children. Now, do you feel that that's a burden on children? To feel that uh, their parent is actually giving up life for them, <laughs> their their role, their their dreams. There certainly has to be a balance. Nobody's life should become, uh, the, any, you know, they have to live their own lives. It, it can be, it can be, but I think even with that notion, one shouldn't make it conditional. I mean, you should never throw it up to your children, especially later in life, and say, I made all those sacrifices for you, and this is the way you treat me in kind, or this is the way you repay me, and all that. If that's what you decide to do, then it has to be done in an unconditional and a totally free choice on your part, not making it, not making it a burden on the Mm. children. Because I must admit that, you know, I see today uh, the generation of parents today who are running so much, trying to work, trying to take their children to all different um, uh, extramurals. There's very little time for for connection, actually, uh, uh, What that I'm seeing. You know, they might connect for a few minutes in the car, but that's in traffic and rushing from one thing to another. And, you know, where is the time if That's they don't? That's the beauty of Shabbos. I was going to say, if you don't yeah, keep Shabbos. Tips. Yeah. But a, a very important time, if you can make the time, is putting your children to sleep. That is a, a, a very strong connecting time to say the Shema, to ask them about their day, to tell them a story, a medrash that puts them to sleep. And that creates a tremendous bond. Mm. So it's actually bringing a sense of peace and love into their lives, then, isn't it? Sure. I like that thought, actually. Uh, I'm thinking of my granny, who was she was Scottish, and uh, when she used to put me to bed, she used to sing me these beautiful Scottish lullabies, Mm. which I still remember, um, because they they were so beautiful. And that reminds me of that story after the Holocaust of the children in in. 
uh, orphanages. Right. Do you remember? Sure. sure. Will, you, will you tell the story? Well, there were many parents, many parents during the war who, who were being taken away and they gave their babies up and said, when we come back, we'd like them back. And many of them went into monasteries. And when the, ra- the parents never came back and the rabbis were aware that there were Jewish kids in these monasteries. And after the war, I think in France and in other places like that, they went and asked for the Jewish children to come back. They even went with authorities. And the heads of the monastery said, there are no Jewish children. There never were any Jewish children in this monastery. And one of the rabbis said, will you please assemble all the children together in one hall? And he had the government authorities with them, so they had to listen. And when all the children were together, amongst the other things, he started to say the Shema. And intuitively, many of the children covered their eyes. Now, the As Shema is the uh, special prayer, Jewish prayer. That we say before we going say. to sleep. Mm. And in the first line, we put our hands over our eyes. And this we learn from when we are infants, mm. especially when our parents put us to sleep and say the Shema with us. So all those children who intuitively covered their eyes with their hands were... Hmm. Obviously Jewish And in this way they were brought back to the fold And reclaimed Wow, such a beautiful story that This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson Only on 101.9 High FM Hello, this is Sue Jackson And my guest today is Rabbi Alex Karlebach And the time is going very quickly I actually had uh, another YouTube But I want to just go back to Something that I read on one of your sermons mm-hmm. too, and that is about financial insecurities. And I thought, wow, that's quite a topic to take on. Um, what made you actually choose that topic? <laughs> <laughs> well, especially in the country we are living in, the environment we're living in now, things are getting more and more difficult, especially financially just to make ends meet and just to to pay the uh, increasing uh, prices. And you often hear from people that right now they're not making enough. As the cliche goes, at the end of the check, there's too much month left. (laughs) And they feel somehow that that is what's giving them insecurity. Mm. And that if they made that much more, or if they had such and such assets, then they will feel secure and they won't have any problems in their life. And I was wondering whether that is true. So I have a few wealthy acquaintances that I went over to and I asked them, tell me, with all your wealth, do you ever feel financial insecurity? And they looked at me and said, what do you mean? We feel it all the time. So I said, why would you? Even if some of them went down, you have so many others that you could rely on. And what I understood from these people is 
that an insecurity that a person has comes from a deeper place than finances. And there are no finances that could give you that in, that security. As, as um, the story goes that uh, our first father, Abraham, his father was an idol maker. And he put his son into the shop to look after it. And an old man came and told Abraham, I need to buy a new idol. He said, what do you need an idol for? I said, he said, I need something to put my faith in, to put my security in. Who's going to look after me? He said, well, you're an old man. What did you have till now? He said, I had an idol, but it was in the backyard. And some thieves came last night and stole it. By the way, you see that crime is not a new invention. <laughs> and Abraham said to the old man, I don't understand you. You want something who's, that's going to give you security and look after you? If the idol cannot look after himself and get stolen, how is he going to look after you? And that is the same with all physical things. The rand can't look after itself. How is the rand going to look after you? Mm-hmm. The medical practitioners can't look after themselves. How are they going to look after you? There's a reason why God created us with these insecurities. What is the reason? The reason is to look for him and to find something that we can truly put our security in, as it says in in the Psalms, that put your faith into God and he will provide for you. But God gives us the freedom of choice. Mm -hmm. So the insecurity we're feeling is there for good reason, for spiritual reasons. So many of us don't translate it that way. And we end up with these terrible feelings. And often those terrible feelings are actually, they get manifested in, in other behaviors, uh, which Definitely. are incredibly destructive sometimes. And uh, we've seen it in our own communities, how destructive it can become. Sure. Those sure. insecurities about money and wanting more and wanting more, and it's never enough. Right, right. Yeah, uh, in a way, if you think about it, a poor man is better off than a wealthy man when it comes to that because the poor man can still live with a dream that if he gets more, it'll get rid of his insecurity. <laughs> <laughs> the rich man doesn't have that dream anymore. He's got to find something to fall back <laughs> but, on. But um, there is no question that the physical things are not going to be the proper answer. Because as the Talmud says, you have a hundred, you'll want two hundred. The minute you have two hundred, you'll want four hundred. And you'll remain insecure. And it'll be an everlasting aspect. Do you know, when you say that about the, the physical things, I must admit, I, I'm a nature lover and I, I love the rain and I love the sun and I love the sunset and, and I find great meaning in that. In, 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 the existential part of, of life that it's part of the existence of, of the whole world, all of that. But very, some people don't even recognize it, you know, and, um, and it always surprises me that they can walk into a beautiful setting, um, and, and not even notice it. Mm, that's very sad. 
The truth is that to battle insecurities is one of the most difficult things in the world, and it takes effort. It takes a lot of work, and it's not going to come by itself. And that ties up in a way with perception becomes reality, Mm -hmm. because it is working on that perception. And I would note something else, that it is so easy to preach to others, why do you feel so insecure, things aren't that bad, get over it, you'll see, you'll find this, you'll look back in it, it'll be a tremendous blessing. That's when you're telling it to others. But when you're going through a challenge of your own, you may know all the answers, but to apply them Mm -hmm. and to find some type of relief is the most difficult thing in the world for yourself. And, and that is why the, the effort needed. And, uh, if, if I could re- recommend to people, there's an amazing book called in Hebrew, Chavot Halavavot, which means duties of the heart. And there the, the, the author, it, it's written in English, and one could, could look it up, is the gate of trust, where he points out that that is the only way you'll get any type of security if you're seeking is through trust. Is through trust and faith and belief in a higher order. And that's how people went through everything in their lives. And when I, I must admit it's something that I, I so admire in people going through hardships is that trust. That trust that whatever happens is going to happen. It's meant to happen. That that requires huge trust. We're going to advert. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, I am back with with Rabbi Alex Karlebach from Chabad of, of Lindhurst, and we are. The time is going very quickly, but I wanted to say you you gave a sermon also on life is difficult, <laughs> but you know Leonard Cohen says there is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in, and I think it actually came from a Hasidic saying initially. But you also said part of our mission is doing our best here, even if we are in the dark. Mm. And um, so, so you say why why the secrecy? Well, when we say life is difficult, we we have to to appreciate that there's a very big difference between positive thinking, between those those positive statements, and sometimes reality, which means we shouldn't fool ourselves. We shouldn't just look at, as they say, the beautiful rainbows and think everything is honky-dory. One of the examples that we gave is the difference between Chamberlain and Winston Churchill. Mm. Chamberlain came back saying, peace in our time. And he was just optimistic that everything's going to work out. Churchill faced the reality. He said, we're going through a difficult time, and if we don't pull up the breaches, fight on the beaches, fight on here, and all his speeches, he said, we're going to go down. 
So it's not just the power of positive thinking. You have to first appreciate that life is difficult, and yet you have the ability to handle it and overcome it. And it's our mission and part of our destiny to do so. I'd like to end with something that you wrote that Scott Peck wrote in his famous book, Road Less Traveled. Life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It is a great truth because once we truly see this truth, we have transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we truly understand and accept it, then life is no longer difficult because once it is accepted, the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. <laughs> that you wrote in one of your sermons from Scott Peck. Thank you so much, Rabbi Karlbach, for being on my program. It goes Thank very you. quickly. and um, God I bless you and we wish everyone well. And to you and your family and your congregation. Thank you. And in South Africa today. And also let's think of Israel and what they're going through today. Sure. And send blessings to them. Thank you so thank much you. and thank you, God Craig. Bless.